Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and today I would like to begin, Lord willing, what will be a three-part series on the subject of sin. Sin is something that we just don't hear about all that much anymore. In general conversations in the world, and from what I am given to understand in most modern pulpits, it is simply not addressed. Sin is not an anachronism. It is not something that is out of place and no longer relevant in the enlightened age in which we live. It is as much a part of our world as it has been at any other time in history, with perhaps the only difference being that modern technology makes certain forms of sin so much more easily engaged in, so much more accessible. So here in the beginning we ask the question, what is sin? There are several passages of scripture that answer that question for us. For instance, if we look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, we find that there at the conclusion of a discussion of matters of indifference, matters that were neither right nor wrong in and of themselves, Paul wrote, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. Simply put, if a person thinks that something is wrong, sinful, whether it really is or not, if they do it anyway, that to them is sin. In James chapter 4, verse 17, James wrote, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Moving over just a few books to 1 John and looking at chapter 3 and verse 4, we find, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Move over two chapters to 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, where we find all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Put all of this together, and we can see that sin is unrighteousness. It is lawlessness. The original and literal meaning of the word sin is missing the mark. It is the violation of the law of God, and it can be done either by doing something contrary to the word of God or refusing to do something that we know we should be doing. My friends, we simply must understand that sin is our enemy. It is devastating to the welfare of man, certainly spiritually and in many cases physically as well. It separates an individual from their creator, and the ones who continue in it unrepentant will ultimately be condemned to eternal damnation. The well-known passage from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. All of this being true, 
and it is. We need to clearly know and understand what God's Word says about the nature, characteristics, and consequences of sin. We don't need to know what sociologists tell us, or psychologists tell us, or even what many modern denominational and megan church pastors and preachers tell us about sin. We need to know what God says about it. Because when we commit sin, it is against God that we have sinned first and foremost. It truly is as David expressed it in Psalm 51 verses 2 through 4 when he said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Let's focus upon certain characteristics of sin. First of all, it is universal. Sin is not confined to one particular nation of people, one particular race of people, or one particular group of people at all. It crosses all lines, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, young adults or older people, boss or laborer, free or slave, rich or pure, common or nobility, well-educated or not. All people sin. It is the universal experience of man. Look at how Paul summarized this basic biblical truth in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. He wrote, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Skipping down to verse 23, we are told, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because this is true, all need the redemption that is possible through the Lord Jesus. Even among those who are members of the body of Christ, be assured that sin creeps in. One such example was among the Corinthians, where there was one who was guilty of sexual immorality and the other brethren of the congregation were guilty of overlooking the sin. Paul condemned both the sin and the attitude of the brethren and called for action to be taken to correct the situation, lest the leaven of evil permeate the entire group. No one and no groups of people are immune to sin. It is universal. Another characteristic of sin is that it is frequently so very secretive. A person does not have to be a very astute observer of human behavior to see that there is present a desire to cover up or to conceal one's sins. This has been the way of man from the very beginning. I think most are aware of Adam and Eve. After their sin, what did they do? Well, turning to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8-13, through 13, we find out. The passage says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, 
she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves from the presence of God. When God asked, Where are you? It was not an attempt to learn where they were hiding. God already knew where they were. But it was to make them aware of their condition now that they had rebelled against God and sinned. They tried to hide. Then Adam blamed Eve and even blamed the serpent. But no amount of hiding and no amount of blaming and no amount of cover-up could change the fact that they were guilty. Our Lord said in John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 the following, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I should point out that there are those who have gone so far into their sin that they no longer care and will sin openly before all at any time. That is certainly true now, and it was true in the first century. Note what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. However, I believe it is safe and correct to say that sin is secretive, and those who practice it try to cover it up, try to hide it from the knowledge of others try to convince others that whatever they are doing is okay. The truth is, it cannot be hidden from God, and God cannot be convinced that sin is not sin. It should go without saying that one of the characteristics of sin, in so many instances, is that it is pleasurable. If it were not pleasurable, there would be little or no enticement or temptation. In Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25, we read, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. This statement in Hebrews concerning Moses makes it clear that there is some pleasure, some enjoyment in sin most of the time. That is obviously a major reason why so many people walk in sin. They perceive some benefit for themselves in the action, or they simply enjoy whatever the sinful activity may be. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, after listing a number of sins people engage in, Paul wrote, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It just stands to reason, friends, that the gratification of desires is going to bring some pleasure. For every desire God has given us, there is a lawful way to satisfy it. But it is also true that every desire can be gratified in a sinful fashion. But in either case, the gratification is going to be there. In his explanation of the parable of the sower in Luke 8, in verse 14, Jesus spoke of those who are choked with cares and riches and pleasures in this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Following right along with this is the fact that sin is also so deceptive. Does Satan entice people to sin by telling them or showing them the absolute truth about it? Absolutely not. The alcoholic beverage industry does not entice people to partake of their product by showing the fallen down drunk 
or the broken families, or the teenager who has wrapped his car around a telephone pole and killed himself, or a passenger, or both. They don't show that sort of thing because who in their right mind would want to engage in something like that? People run around saying, well, I'm only human, as if being human somehow minimizes or completely excuses a sin. It is almost as though the thinking goes, God made me, I am human, I have these desires and I am tempted to fulfill them any way I want, therefore it's really not my fault, it's God's. Well, my friend, that kind of thinking is just plain wrong. James tells us in James 1 verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I think we are seeing a classic example of this characteristic of sin with the current movement among religious-minded people to deny the sinfulness of homosexuality. The tri-state area is filled with preachers and rabbis who will get in their pulpits and say that God made homosexuals the way they are. Therefore, there is nothing wrong with the individuals engaging in that kind of conduct. James denies that, and yet so many are being deceived by this kind of thinking, and it is no wonder. Sin is deceitful, and it is no wonder that such deception is coming from pulpits. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 15, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Yet another characteristic of sin that must be mentioned is that it is contagious. We hear people speak of victimless crimes, and we hear them say what two consenting adults do together is nobody's business, that no one but those two are affected. But that kind of talk is misleading and is not always true. Not only does sin affect the offender, it affects those upon whom the offender has an influence. For example, consider 1 Corinthians 5. In this case, an incestuous adulterer among the Corinthian brethren could, by his influence, negatively affect the entire congregation. In verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. It only takes a little yeast to leaven an entire loaf of dough, and that is what sin is like. Paul recognized the danger of this aspect of sin in yet another place. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, he wrote, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Finally, I would like to consider one additional characteristic of sin that makes it imperative that if you are caught up in it, that you do something about it now and get out of it. Sin will harden your heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we are told, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. That is, I believe, addressing the same thing. The more a person practices sin, the harder they become toward the truth. The first time a person does something they know is wrong, their conscience will bother them. Each additional time they do the same thing, it gets a little bit easier. Pretty soon you have people like those who characterize our society today. They are going to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and where they want to do it, and they will feel no guilt and no regret. Why? Because they have been hardened by sin. Do not let sin do that to you. This is truly serious business we are talking about. We can either learn from these truths now and act accordingly, or we will most assuredly learn when Jesus returns, and then it will just be too late. Don't be hardened by sin. Do what is right now. Thanks for listening.